the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero is the number. Picking up on where I left off yesterday, invoking the importance of studying American history and teaching it accurately, as Ronald Reagan implored in his farewell address from the White House in 1989, it's worth recalling why he said it was important. Before we remember that, recall his lifelong sentiment, once again, that freedom is only one generation away from extinction because it is not passed down through the bloodstream, but rather has to be rather has to be taught and nurtured from generation to generation. This is probably as good a time as any to recall a phrase of Elie Wiesel's. Memory is at the heart of redemption, just as forgetfulness is at the root of exile. Or, as Milan Kundera put it, the struggle of man against power is the struggle of memory against forgetting. Boy, has that struggle struggle become more difficult. We are not only making alien of our aliens of ourselves by training young children to be raised and become adults in a country they do not know. We are making exiles of ourselves by uprooting everything we knew and know about this country. As Reagan put it in his farewell address, if we forget what we did, we won't know who we are. I'm warning, he said, of an eradication of the American memory that could result ultimately in an erosion of the American spirit. Why did he say that and make it his most important message as he left the White House? He told us, quote, the national feeling is good, but it won't count for much and it won't last unless it's grounded in thoughtfulness and knowledge. Younger parents aren't sure that an unambivalent appreciation of America is the right thing to teach modern children. And as for those who create the popular culture, well-grounded patriotism is no longer the style, close quote. Boy, would that be understating it today. You can go to Howard Zinn and go to our modern education and graduate schools that train our nation's teachers. You can go to the 1619 Project in the New York Times. And you can go to a few precious other places that counterman their teachings. But you get an entire warp and woof of education steeped in training that America is at best a down-market consideration, a down-market commodity. Usually what you get is that we are not just down-market, but positively bad, wrong, evil, or systematically something pejorative, systemically or systematically. And so we saw this past week, though they are laying off 7,000 employees and gutting $5 billion in costs, the nation's most identifiable children's entertainment and amusement corporation, Disney, Release a cartoon and trenching and retrenching all of this. In Disney Plus's new Proud Family production, you are taught and taught to learn that America is nothing more than the beneficiary of slavery. And at least to me, the line that truly grates, quote, Lincoln didn't free the slaves. Slaves were men and women, and only we can free ourselves, close quote. It's a nice line of empowerment, but it simply doesn't make sense. 
if Lincoln didn't free the slaves because black people were men and women, that has to mean that a man or a woman cannot be a slave. It is an ignoratio elenchi, a response to something that is not alleged. The word, but, followed by the phrase slaves were men and women, sets up some kind of argument that because you are a man or a woman, nobody can free you, which has never been argued one way or other, but it certainly is not self-explaining or defining. In fact, it's self-refuting because the entire cartoon is a plea for reparations. So if a non-slave cannot free a slave, how then can a non-slave, much less a non-slave holder, convey a reparation because we are told only we can free ourselves? So if only you can free yourself, does that mean you could never be a slave in the first place? Does it mean the rule changes after freedom and then your dependence and the quest for reparations, let us say, is someone else's responsibility and duty all of a sudden? The mind boggles at the illogic used in order to convey the one message in this line that is meant to remain and be remembered, which is that Lincoln didn't free slaves. There is a follow-up line that says in the cartoon, quote, emancipation is not freedom, close quote. But that is exactly what emancipation means from the Latin emancipare, which is to set free. I think setting free, though, is what the historians at Disney are trying to grapple with, because there is perhaps giving them as fair a rendering as possible a difference between someone being set free and someone being free. But then again, if we can only free ourselves, as the Disney dialogue has it, then being free cannot possibly be the obligation of a second or a third party. So we get bad history as well as bad logic. For what it's worth, this notion above, this perverted or twisted logic, would find no support in history. Was it not in the book of Exodus within the power of Pharaoh to let people go or not, to free the slaves of Egypt? And was that very biblical narrative not the main theme of the black spiritual during slavery, go down Moses to tell old Pharaoh to let my people go? It was a phrase and song used for code by Harriet Tubman and, of course, sung with passion and memory in our days by the likes of Paul Robeson and Louis Armstrong. And it certainly could not have been a philosophy of Frederick Douglass's, as he kept pushing Abraham Lincoln to issue the Emancipation Proclamation earlier and earlier. For if it were not something Lincoln, that is to say a non-slave could do, why would Douglass push him to do it? And why would Douglass say of Ulysses S. Grant, Lincoln's final general, quote, such is the record of the great chieftain whose sword cleft the hydra head of treason, and why could D Douglas say of Lincoln he was our liberator? After all, was not Abraham Lincoln reelected on all this? The 1864 Republican platform Lincoln was reelected on stated, quote, justice and the national safety demand slavery's utter and complete extirpation from the soil of the republic, close quote. Was not Lincoln killed for effectuating this effort? John Wilkes Booth told his sister, Lincoln is made the tool of the North to crush out slavery. Disney must know an awful lot more than Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass and the likes of Paul Robeson and everyone else until about five minutes ago. It is indeed a very sad thing to see, and it perverts history into 
not an iconography, but an iconoclasm, a tearing down. For no reason other than to tear down and revise history, just as Karl Marx put it, our task is not to understand history, but to change it. And just so, as we learn from George Orwell's how-to or policy and procedure manual, once known as the novel 1984, quote, Every record has been destroyed or falsified, every book rewritten, every picture has been repainted, every statue and street building has been renamed, every date has been altered, and the process is continuing day by day and minute by minute, with history having stopped. Nothing exists except an endless present in which the party, capital P, is always right. Close quote. Probably important we know the sentence that precedes that quote, for it is this, and it is key. Quote, already we know almost literally nothing about the revolution and the years before the revolution. Close quote. Yep, that is, to ta- that is the task, to know nothing, so as C.S. Lewis warns, to miseducate in order to leave young minds all the more susceptible to propaganda. So here we are with Disney, as here we are with the history wars, another set of wars where adults use and abuse children to meet their objectives. This isn't exactly new, as we were pointing out in our monologue yesterday. As early as the 1950s, political philosophers like Leo Strauss, quoted on this yesterday, and Hannah Arendt, were writing of what we were starting to adopt here. This is what Hannah Arendt asked back then, quote, Have we now come to the point where it is the children who are being asked to change or improve the world? And do we intend to have our political battles fought out in the schoolyards? Close quote. Is it interesting that the most widely known political philosophers of that era, the 50s, pointing these things out to us half a decade after the end of World War II were both emigres from Nazi Germany. They, after all, understood perhaps better than we ever could what propaganda could do, what racialization could do, and what the abandonment of truth and the perversion of natural rights and history could do. I give you today's Disney. As for the last word on Lincoln, maybe we give it to the man who knew him far better and who knew, I should venture to say, a lot more about slavery than these Disney cartoonists, and that man would be Frederick Douglass. Speaking at the unveiling of a monument to Lincoln in 1876, Douglas, Frederick Douglass said this to a gathering of black men and women in Washington, D.C., quote, First, midst, and last, you and yours were the objects of his deepest affection and his most earnest solitude. You are the children of Abraham Lincoln. We are at best only his stepchildren, children by adoption, children by force of circumstance and necessity. To you, it especially belongs to sound and sing his praises, to preserve and perpetuate his memory, to multiply his statues, to hang his picture high on your walls and commend his example. For to you, he was a great and glorious friend and benefactor. Instead of supplanting you at this altar, we would exhort you to build high his monuments. For while Abraham Lincoln saved for you a country, he delivered us 
from a bondage. Close quote. Why wouldn't you want Disney to teach that? Why wouldn't Disney want to teach that? Why would you want to pervert and destroy it? Why would Disney want to pervert and destroy it? Well, as Karl Marx liked to intone from Mephistopheles, everything that exists deserves to perish. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Welcome back to another day of hearings, important hearings on Capitol Hill. Yesterday it was the House Oversight Committee on Twitter banning things. Today it's the Judiciary Committee led by Jim Jordan opening the uh, weaponization uh, weaponization uh, hearings uh, with regard to the FBI and the politicalization of the Department of Justice. I know there's a lot of different ways to say that word. I always think people kind of fall apart with politicization. They never quite – it always just comes off not quite right. Politicization. Adam Carolla got stuck on a word today. I forget what it was. They all got it wrong, whatever it was. Do you remember what it was? I don't either, but they all got it wrong. Uh, so I just throw in the whole – all the consonants I can and give us politicalization. seems easier. Maybe we can start a trend here and have that take over the country. Use politicalization. You don't trip. You don't slur. You don't slip. Anyway, the politicalization of the uh, FBI and Department of Justice. Um, God bless them for doing it. But again, it will only matter if you yourselves send it around and and expose it and promulgate it to others because the media doesn't want to and the Democrats don't want to. In fact, again, like AOC yesterday, other Democrats on the, at the hearing today were talking about how unnecessary these hearings were and how they, would, in fact, would put people's lives in danger. I guess this is an example of speech being violence or something to have a hearing, a duly constituted congressional hearing Exposing the politicalization of the FBI will put people's lives in danger. I have no idea how. Anytime you criticize a Democrat, I suppose they like to claim it'll put our lives in danger. You've heard a lot of that over the last several years. That's kind of the sense of uh, the heckler's veto, isn't it? Oh, no, you can't say that. Violence will ensue. Funny how that only goes in one direction. I don't know. I can't think of, Bill, can you? I can't think of a conservative ever raising that pretext or that, uh, I I just can't, a pretext or peremptory attempt to shut down speech in the name of it causing violence. In fact, I, I would go so far as to say it goes in the other direction in extremists. If a conservative is trying to get to a campus speech and the pretext is raised that violence will ensue, the conservative usually says, well, I'll hire security then. It's a funny thing. I, it's, it's, I was at the uh, Prager talk last night at ASU. Boy, there was a ton of security. There were no protesters. A lot of bluff. A lot of bluster. And a lot of bluff. But they were saying the same thing, that those speeches, those speakers, would be bringing white nationalism. 
Anyway, little of Jim Jordan opening his meeting today. November 18th, 2021, an FBI whistleblower discloses to Republicans on the House Judiciary that the FBI created a threat tag for parents voicing their concerns at school board meetings. April 26, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses that the FBI employees are being run out of the Bureau for attending conservative political events. May 11th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses that dozens of parents with the threat tag designation to their name are investigated by the FBI. This also happens to be the same whistleblower who said the FBI leadership, not the rank and file members, the FBI leadership is rotted at its core. His clearance has been revoked and he's been suspended. June 7th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower is retaliated against after giving feedback on an anonymous survey. July 27th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses that agents are pressured to reclassify cases as domestic violent extremism cases to hit self-created performance metrics. September 14th, 2022, an FBI whistleblower discloses that the FBI views the Betsy Ross flag as a terrorist symbol. September 19th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses that the Washington field office is deliberately manipulating January 6th case files to make it appear that domestic violence extremism is on the rise. He's been suspended. November 8th, excuse me, November 4th, 2022, another FBI whistleblower discloses the FBI accepts private user information from Facebook without the user's consent and information is from only the conservative side of the political spectrum. This is only a sampling. In my time in Congress, I have never seen anything like this. Dozens and dozens of whistleblowers, FBI agents coming to us, talking about what's going on, the political nature at the Justice Department. Not Jim Jordan saying this, not Republicans, not conservatives, good, brave FBI agents who are willing to come forward and give us the truth. Remember when we used to support whistleblowers, particularly the FBI? I have to hit the break, right? Pretty soon. Uh, Yeah, because I want to say some more about it, but we'll do it on the other side. Yeah, I'm, I'm old enough to remember, or young enough, to remember very well that if an FBI whistleblower said something, boy, it was the eminent truth and they deserved all the protection in the world, not firing and sanctions. Again, opinion regime hierarchy only means whistleblowers who expose Republican depredations. I'm Seth Leapson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 6025080960. Like, as I was saying, as with yesterday uh, in the House Oversight Committee hearings investigating censorship of social media and the government's impelling of its uh, muscle on social media corporations to censor. A political discussion, particularly the Hunter Biden laptop and uh, alternative COVID strategies, particularly that which came from the great Parrington types, your Bonacherias, your Alice's, etc. The uh, Judiciary Committee hearings today were about, as you heard in the previous couple of segments, um, well, the weaponization of the Department of Justice. 
And as with yesterday, with people like AOC and the other Democrats saying that the hearings should not be held, that the hearings uh, themselves were a violation of the House's duties to do the job for the American people. Um, today, you had Democrats saying that hearings on the weaponization of the FBI and the DOJ was uh, was a waste of time. Uh, Stacey Plaskett, Democrat on the committee representing the Virgin Islands, said she was, quote, deeply concerned about the use of this subcommittee as a place to settle scores, showcase conspiracy theories, and advance an extreme agenda that risks undermining Americans' faith in our democracy. Um, dangerous rhetoric and basic accusa- baseless accusations against the Justice Department F- and the FBI undermines all of our work here and can lead to more violence. They do not want sunlight. Justice Louis Brandeis said sunlight is the best disinfectant. They do not want their stuff exposed. They do not want their disinformation and misinformation campaign exposed. They do not want their weaponization of the Department of Justice in both cases with social media and against what? People showing up at school board meetings, um, people holding gasp conservative town hall meetings. Uh, and conservative club meetings, they 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 don't want the idea that the FBI would be surveilling that and trying to put a chill on that uh, exposed, and yet there they were doing it, um, and they think it's a waste of time. They think that this is all about settling scores and showcasing conspiracy theories. Well, they're only conspiracy theories if what the testimony and the uh, testify, the uh, committee witnesses testified to wasn't true. But as Jim Jordan said, we heard from FBI whistleblower after FBI whistleblower after FBI whistleblower. We heard an FBI agent. We saw a FBI agent, female, crying, crying because all she wanted to do was her job as a just the facts, ma'am type FBI agent but saw the politicalization of the agency take place before her very eyes and turn against Americans because of their political beliefs. This is the running riot of opinion and regime hierarchy. This is the running riot of thinking that one political party and one political point of view and one political ideology on the spectrum, namely conservative or Republican, just simply is beneath dignity, or as the Latin would have it, Infra dig below dignity, uh, not worthy of being on the same plane. There aren't two equal parties in America. In other words, competing for the American voters' minds and hearts and minds. There is one legitimate party and one illegitimate party. Uh, the legitimate party is obviously the Democrats. And if you want to get a sense of how illegitimate they think the Republican Party is, all you have to do is quote Jamie Harris the chairman of the Democratic National Committee, who twice last year said the Republican Party, and he made no distinctions within or among it. The Republican Party is the party of fascism and fear. They have turned the, at least in the, through their rhetoric, they have turned the mind of not only the media, but the average person who doesn't have time to do their own research. They have turned the Republican Party into something akin to one of history's worst criminal organizations to ever take power, namely the Nazis. That's that's what they have done through rhetoric. Timothy Leary, you know that name? He was a psychiatrist out of Yale 
who uh, did a lot of experimentation with, obviously, the drug culture and all that. But before he did, before he went down that road, he was doing interesting work in psycholinguistics, and he was warning against using words to, his phrase, freeze reality. He warned about the freezing of reality with words. And, boy, I don't know if he was warning so much as writing the playbook and policy manual for the Democrats today. It took about 60 years for them to understand that they could do it. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Anyone who saw the uh, movie scene with that song in it, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, they'll always remember it. The riding of the bike and Catherine Ross. Burt Bachrock, who wrote that song, just passed away at the age of 94. What a catalog. What a catalog. Um, they long to be close to you. Arthur's theme, the best that you can do. Can you do? Can you go out with that? The best you can do. Arthur's theme. Let's go out with that. Uh, that's what friends are for. Just, I mean, you could go on and on and on with what this guy did, and for Dion Warwick, and oh my gosh, uh, magic moments. I'm sure the Powerline guys, probably Scott Johnson, will do a about the best tribute anyone can do. Whenever a legend of music dies, Scott's always writing one of the best memories or obits for them but uh pretty good run there pretty good run we love music here and uh that would be a cultural moment here to mark the passing of burt bachrock all right if i uh can turn it uh well i guess this might count as another sad issue in uh, one of the issues of covid that doesn't get talked about enough and soon enough the Oversight Committee will start looking into that and these issues as well. Our friends at Issues and Insights have an op-ed. Here's the real long COVID crisis, the one nobody is talking about. The public health community is nothing if not determined to keep COVID on everyone's mind so much so that it is now playing up the alleged horrors of long COVID, the symptoms of which are vague enough that just about anyone could probably claim to have it. There is, however, a genuine long COVID crisis, but it has nothing to do with the virus, as most of the fallout from COVID doesn't, at least not directly. It's the fact that Democrats use the pandemic to quietly but dramatically expand government dependency, knowing that once in place, these expansions will be hard to uproot. Republicans were too clueless about what the left was up to to do much about it at the time. Take Medicaid from March 2020 through October 2022, October of last year. Enrollment in this program exploded by more than 20 million Americans. Think about that. You think there's a, pri- a crisis with Medicaid? Try blowing it up by 20 million over the course of two years. That's a 30% increase, and it came after Medicaid enrollment had been on the decline thanks to the booming, booming economy under Donald Trump. Medicaid. Medicaid. The reason for the massive increase was simple. As part of its panicked COVID response, Congress banned states from kicking off anyone anyone off of Medicaid, even if they were no longer eligible. This provision lasted as long as there was an officially declared public health emergency. The feds gave states extra money to help cover the cost. There's God. There's a funny 
moment in an awful movie, uh, awful Barat movie, maybe the first one, where he's interviewing. I don't. I have no idea how he got to these people. Some of these famous people um, couldn't screen him, but it was an interview with Newt Gingrich. Do you ever see it, Bill? And he's asking Newt Gingrich about one of his greatest accomplishments in Congress. And Newt Gingrich was talking about the welfare reform bill where they uh, reduced welfare rolls by something like 50 percent. And Barat was just astounded why you would call reducing welfare rolls a success. He said, if you want to do something good, wouldn't you want to expand it? Isn't the more the better? You know, just kind of being... Uh, and Gingrich just couldn't quite comprehend why someone would think, you know, uh, having more people on welfare is the sign of success. But Barat was making the point, and maybe somewhat ironically or sarcastically, that some people do actually think that way, that the more on the government program, the better, the more on the government dole, the better. But that's exactly what we have here with the case of increasing Medicaid by 30 percent during the COVID um, during the COVID crisis of 2022 through 20 and the end of last year. That's that's an incredible number to put on an already overburdened, not burdened, overburdened entitlement program. This is one of these entitlement programs that is breaking banks and, quite frankly, in too many respects, breaking souls, too, breaking souls, too. We'll get to that point in a few moments. But the reason for the massive increase was simple um, and the feds gave extra money to help cover it thinking that the more the better the more the better not surprisingly President Biden kept extending the public health emergency which he now claims will be lifted on May 11th because that would be following the science I suppose right we know that the emergency will be over on May 11th maybe someone should ask him what the lottery numbers will be the result is that more than 90 million Americans, by extending this public health emergency, think about that, almost a third of our country, almost a third. The result is that more than 90 million Americans are currently getting free health insurance with the costs paid for with borrowed money. If you think the surge in Medicaid enrollment was a surprise or an accident, you need a history lesson. Democrats have been expanding Medicaid for decades. Obamacare turbocharged it, with enrollment climbing 20 million thanks to that law's inducement to states to expand eligibility. The left has since been trying to get a public option introduced into Obamacare that would expand Medicaid even more by opening up the program to those willing to pay a small premium. The leftist American prospect called such Medicaid buy-ins a viable path to universal coverage. So what now? Will lawmakers let millions lose access to healthcare, as Kaiser Health News puts it, states are preparing to remove millions of people from Medicaid as protections put in place early in COVID are about to expire. The upheaval, which begins in April, will put millions of low-income Americans at risk of losing health coverage, threatening their access to care and potentially exposing them to large medical bills. Do not be at all surprised when the left demands that these benefits have to be ex- extended. Medicaid is just one way Democrats tried to turn COVID into a government dependency machine. You can lift the emergency and preserve programs within it, by the way. Let's, la- let's put a marker down today on that very, poss- that very, very strong possibility. Reminds me of what Margaret Thatcher said as in one of the interviews when she was leaving office, you know, for all the, uh, all the uh, 
all the privatizing and all the um, all the reforms she made in in the British uh, British economy and all the deregulation. She said the one thing she couldn't reform was the government health service in Great Britain. She couldn't. Once you get that needle in the arm, man, once you get that needle in the arm, it is a hard thing to take out. And that's probably about as close as the, to, to the right analogy as you can come up with because it forms that addiction. It is its own form of addiction. Burp Okrek, rest in peace. I'm Seth Leapson. We'll be right back. A recession is a drop in income and consumer spending and a rise in unemployment with increased business failures. Joe Biden won't admit it. He'll redefine it. But that's what we're in. Income declined last year because of inflation. Real estate values are dropping. Major companies are laying off thousands and retailers are declaring bankruptcy. Regardless of what Biden says, by every definition, it looks like we're in a recession and it could even get worse, which is why I recommend calling the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group to safeguard your money with the stability of gold with the only dealer, Seb Gorka, I, and thousands of you already know. That is the Midas Gold Group. Gold holds its value when economies fail, guarding against the ravages of inflation and the ruin of a recession. Get your hedge against all that by talking with Midas Gold Group. They'll answer your questions and help you protect your savings and investments with the security of gold. They're MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. Or give them a call at 480-360-3000. 480-360-3000. Medicaid, as I was saying, is just one way Democrats tried to turn COVID into a government dependency Machine Issues and Insights is reporting that Congress also boosted monthly food stamp benefits for everyone enrolled, regardless of their income, and banned work requirements that 28 states had enacted. As a result, the number of people on food stamps jumped from 35.7 million in 2019 to nearly 42 million in 2021 and was still above 41 million by the end of last year. As with Medicaid enrollment, the number of people on food stamps had been in decline in the years before COVID. Again, on the idea that that's a good thing, that you don't want people on food stamps, that you don't want people not working. Let me put it better, that you want people working. This is this this work ethic thing is going to be a big damn deal. Not enough people are talking about it. Nick Eberstad is. We've had him on several times gave a couple monologues on the virtue of work. It's actually one of the virtues in the Book of Virtues, but the virtue of work. Many of us know the phrase, idle hands are the devil's workshop. Nick's point is if you add the working age males in this country, that is to say those roughly ages 25 to 54 who are not seeking work, they are not looking for work. They're spending their time in basements and on screens. If you added that number to the unemployment number, and they're not added to the unemployment number because by definition we only count unemployed as those who are actively seeking work, we have an army of something like 7 million working age eligible men not looking for work. If you added that to our unemployment stats, we'd be at Great Depression levels, folks. Instead, they're sitting at home in Great Depression. The great Sam Stone joining us shortly. We'll be right back.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.